Welcome to Super Connected. With me, Tim Arnold, and my special guests. We invite you to join us in an intimate and honest exploration into the theme of connection. What it means to be connected to each other, what it means to be connected to ourselves, and what it means to connect in an ever-changing world. Peter Radcliffe, a.k.a. Pra Peter Suparo, is originally from London but grew up in Berkshire. After starting university life studying history, he discovered it was not for him and instead decided to drum for various musical outfits in the pop and jazz world of the late 1980s. By the 90s, he transitioned into rock, trip-hop and electronica. As the millennium loomed and dark-stoned angst became trendy, like every other fashion slave at that time, he started consuming drugs, which he subsequently discovered wasn't a good idea. Consequently, in 2002, as the result of an unlikely series of coincidences, Peter found himself at a detox facility in a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. Following a successful recovery, he remained there and was ordained as a monk. In 2007, Peter returned to the UK and to the music business, initially as a recording studio engineer and then drifted back into playing, but mostly as a percussionist, working with various people on a freelance basis, but settling into a regular steady gig with the revived Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Having enjoyed a positive foray into the music world again, Peter then decided that he'd had enough, and so he went back to Thailand and became a monk again. So, across the airwaves to a Buddhist monastery in central Thailand, I must cup my hands in prayer to welcome the first monk on this show, Prapita Suparo, my friend and collaborator, Mr. Peter Radcliffe. Peter, <laughs> how are you? Hello. <laughs> I, I'm very well, thank you. Yes. Very good. So, um, th- thanks a lot for for taking time out of the. Um, let's. I, I'd like our listeners to get an idea of where you are, okay. and um, actually what the life is there. I know. I've obviously spent time living in the monastery that you're in, but really, you should be the person to uh, let our listeners know what it is and what it's like. Well, just say what it is and what it's like. Um... Well, we're in a bit of an unusual moment, a little sort of uh, cusp, because uh, we're winding down our normal monastery activities at the moment uh, to go on Tudong, uh, which is... Uh, this is the pilgrimage, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, so Tudong is um, leaving the monastery, going wandering, um, which is a tradition of our order of monks who are from the forest monk tradition um, who initially would probably have spent most of their time wandering and smaller amounts of their time in monasteries during the rain season but uh, these days the balance has shifted back the other way so Uh, so yeah right now it's uh, all just uh, frantically packing kit to go and sit in the jungle uh, probably until the uh, coronavirus thing is over uh, and how is that how is that um you know affecting 
living in a monastery where obviously you're all together there's over 100 monks and maybe up to 20 nuns in your sangha in your community yeah a bit bigger than that at the moment actually um about wow. a, about 150 to 40 monks to nuns i think yeah we're uh we're growing uh, well, so you've you've not been put in, under any orders by the Thai government to observe social distancing or anything like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, on the one hand, uh, it, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference to a monk. Uh, I mean, self isolating, social distancing, can't get out <laughs> to work. You know, that has hardly disrupted my day, particularly. Yes. You're, you're there. You're quite a lot of the way there already, aren't you? Yeah, and we, we tend to stay in the monastery unless there's an essential reason to go out mm. from it. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, what's happening in Thailand, it, it's been a, a pretty slack and slow response from the government. Um, and they're sort of starting to mm. tell people to stay inside now. But it, uh, it's been so sort of indecisive um that people aren't taking it terribly seriously especially out here in the sticks where we haven't really seen any it happening yet uh yeah but of course that's the thing if people wait till they see it happening then and then oh yeah perhaps i should you know then everyone's infected already so uh, um, yeah what from um mm. you know from a, a buddhist perspective uh of you know yourself and 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 the abbots you know the the high monks at the monastery um what what's been said what's what's been the message about what is happening at the moment to all of us all over the planet um well i mean i i, I wish i could deliver you some sort of packaged statement there hasn't been one about it i mean i think probably we'll be talking about this a lot when we get out on tudong next week there'll probably be mm -hmm. some some talk about that i mean right now it's just filtering through that everybody just scale down what you're doing and uh, uh yeah so i guess um, you know whereas most of us are prone to panic um at the monastery i mean i know because <laughs> i've spent a lot of time there. <laughs> it's it's obviously you're in a good place for for not sort of um leaping to uh, a state of panic aren't you well i i, I would hope so uh, my on the one hand i mean as i said the sensible measures the first yeah. sensible measures to be taken are what kind of what we do anyway but um i mean for another thing i mean in a way uh it's uh, i would never say there's anything good about this that's happening but um if there were I mean, one thing that is often emphasized a lot by a lot of Buddhist teachers is, is to be continually aware of, uh, of death, of things going wrong, um, of impermanence. Um, and um, so something like something very that pushes it to the fore like this uh, shouldn't really send us into a state of panic, as you say. Um, people do a lot of trying to persuade themselves that this stuff doesn't exist you know and like never mind pandemics that uh, you could just be hit by a car crossing the street mm -hmm. today so um we're supposed to be able to take this kind of thing in our stride um and it's uh you know it's it's to a certain extent it's business as usual i mean if you didn't have the uh the corona virus spreading all over the world there'd still be Mm. A, a large numbers of people who are going to die today 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's just um, let's just go over that. Obviously, your um, um, sort of position at the monastery, like everybody's, um, is quite unique. You've you've huh. been, you know, a musician and and working in that crazy world of the in London. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your life in the music industry, all the all the things that we think are permanent, <laughs> you know, all the craving and all the things we want, um, and and then you've spent a significant amount of time as a monk in the monastery um, and as a supervisor for foreigners visiting the monastery mm-hmm. and 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 with me, you know, the the, the looking presiding over the. The, the music of the abbot of the monastery, and uh-huh. so and then you've come back into the music industry, and then and then gone and become a monk again. So I'd say you're fairly qualified to answer the question that so many people say, or, or even just to respond to the that classic kind of well, it's all right, you know, to be calm and meditating and 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 mindful if you're in a monastery. <laughs> um, how do how do people do it? You know, those of us that are, I'm, I've just been rescued from London. I'm out in the country now. Mm, congratulations! Uh, yeah. So I feel a little bit calmer, anyway. But um, but many people are not. Many people are in cities, all huddled together, and quite terrified of bumping into another person. And you know, what what's your what's your thoughts on on their their way forward? And what might help? Um <laughs> uh, well, quite a broad question. I think I see what you're Well, I, I at. only yeah. ask you in in yeah. your capacity as somebody that's trodden both paths. You know, yeah. you know what it's like to be able to be peaceful yeah. in in I, a monastery, and you know what it's like to be in a in a city like London as well. Yeah. Well, I I, I had a bit of a a chuckle at when you, and I recognised so much when he said it's all right for you in a monastery. Well, it's not. That's not me saying it, but I, th- but I, I know. I've no, heard a lot of people no, with that. No, no not taking you know. offence. As like I said, I recognise <laughs> that. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, just get away from it all. Why don't you? Yeah, you're just hiding from life. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all right for you. You want to try the real world, but um, yeah, I, I have tried the real world and. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm not sure that I, I, I actually give it that title, the real world. Of course, this is the real world. Anywhere you happen to be is the real world. And <clears throat> I think it would be uh, very foolish to expect that just because you, you come to a monastery and take on a, a contemplative lifestyle, that uh, that everything just becomes easy and, and fluffy. Uh, I mean, the uh, one thing that becomes extremely apparent when you simplify life so much and remove so many of the external stresses is it's shocking how little that changes anything that um and so i think uh, one experience that people have after a little bit of settling into a place like this where at first it can be a bit honeymoonish and oh it's also wonderful and peaceful um and actually, again, you're just being affected by externals that are unfamiliar to you. Like, oh, we can go and hear some people chanting and we can go and look at some, some lovely mountains. And then it becomes normal to you and you realise that your, your mind is just as full as the same sort of seething uh, sewage as it ever was. It's just that previously you kept blaming it on other people. That um, <laughs> yeah. you know that you thought there were I, perfectly reasonable reasons why I'm so yeah. full I of wanna, resentment, I would, <laughs> and it's you. I want to try. 
Yes, I, I'd like to try to um, just uh, help people visualize a little bit further where you are. I mean, uh, yeah, um, yeah, many yeah. people think of a Buddhist monastery as a, a sort of pristine temple. Um, and and where Peter is speaking from, the Tamkrabok monastery, where I lived with him for a short while and the monks, is, is, uh, is it's a sort of a nature park designed by the people that made Blade Runner and, and and within that and within that there are beautiful temples that have been made but it's a very earthy down to earth what I dare to say and you can correct me if I'm being disrespectful mm. but it's quite a, a rock and roll punk DIY ethic <laughs> towards Buddhism in terms of these monks are uh, Peter included working all the time to build for the community and it's not just monks that live in the community it is the followers and the lay people there but it's pretty wild and it's like an overgrown garden it's not been trimmed and nipped and tucked it's it's wild wild piece <laughs> i think is what yeah, we get in yeah. temple book is that right Yes, I mean, probably it's worth pointing out, and you and I could very easily forget because we know what we're talking about. That there's probably more yeah. that needs to be explained. But certainly it's worth pointing out that one thing, one thing one thinks of a monastery as being is ancient. Uh, it's been there for centuries. Well, this hasn't. Um, it's been, we've got an official history. We were founded in 1958, and at that point there was nothing here at all. There, well, there was a cave. Uh, there's some... Uh, smallish yes. mountains we call them mountains they're rocky crags full of caves and it was just we mentioned Tudong earlier you know wandering monks using the caves to shelter in and then they decided to make a more permanent base and and so just started building at that point with ad hoc materials just what they could mm. find and uh, we've been doing that ever since um, and so this place is is still under construction and you know we mentioned the the numbers of monks and nuns that I surprised you with the fact that we're, we're bigger now we, we are growing you know and so there's always stuff going on there's a massive building site at the moment it's right in the middle because we're finally finishing that huge standing Buddha um, so uh, so yes yeah, very busy bustly noisy at times grubby and so it's it's mm. not sort of serene monks sort of drifting around um it, it's it's a lot of a lot of activity it's very real actually isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's very real yeah it's real uh, there's something else i i'd love you to uh, share um and talk about which is the the last ab or the abbot of the monastery um, who was there when mm. I lived there? Yeah. Uh, Long poor Charon Panchal. He, he he's a monk that really brought us together. Yeah. And um, he, he he used to talk about parts of the monastery uh, like a spaceship. Sometimes <laughs> he would, yeah. you know, like it was some sort of magical airport where souls met, and um, it was the, it was it was not at all. Uh, like a strict and rigid uh, Buddhist sort of view of the world that he had. He was very, uh, I don't know, dare I say, mystical, uh, clairvoyant even. Um, and for many different reasons, I think you and I both agree, changed our lives in yeah, some way, yes. shape or form. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, sadly or not sadly, uh, he's not with us 
uh, in this form today. Mm. Uh, I really wondered what he, what do you think he would say about what's happening in the world at the moment in terms of coronavirus, obviously posing this question for all individuals that we suddenly can't be close to each other. It's such a, um, it's such a deep kind of um, uh, existential crisis that it's um, posed to all of us um, that you can save your life if you don't go near the people mm. that you love or, or, you know, or, or just your fellow human beings. It's a, it's astonishingly, um, um, I don't know, it's it just, it's, it, I wonder what would a man like Long Po Chadon Panchan think about this moment in history? Oh, crikey. Well, it would be quite presumptuous of me to say what he'd say. Uh, well, you can but, only guess, uh, but I just, you were as close to him as anyone there, so, you know. Um, I mean, well, I mean, in terms of what he'd say, he was always reminding us that things weren't uh, going to be permanent, that we keep trying to uh establish things and say this is how it's going to be and we build on this and we move forward and that uh whatever is happening politically economically or, or whatever is subject to change i mean th but this thing that you uh brought up particularly which is extraordinary because you might think you know every time you visualize something that makes people think apocalyptically, not that I'm saying this is the end of the world, but it's, you know, uh, you think, well, then we huddle together, don't we? And it's the, mm. there is something very ironic in this. Uh, yes, maybe you want to spend this time with your loved ones, but, uh, but <laughs> at a safe distance. And it, mm. it struck me uh, the other day, I think possibly since you mentioned the possibility of doing this, and obviously I've been communicating with a few other people, that mm. everybody's huddling inside, cut off from the people immediately around them, but we're in this very hyper-connected world via the internet where everyone's really keeping their eyes on what's happening globally. Yes. And it's a very strange space to be in, isn't it, of, of being sort of... Well, yeah, and that's mm. been the primary um, reason that I, I wanted to do these shows was before, obviously the the situation we're in now with the pandemic uh, it i was just very heavily criticizing uh my own use and all of our use of um uh communication technology i suppose to to to, to yeah. umbrella uh, the skype and the facetime and the social media and the twitter and the facebook all under one umbrella which is just ways to communicate with each other when we're not in the same room mm. <laughs> it's the easiest way to explain it isn't it yes um, and 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 i was i was my my feeling was that it was not a constructive uh way to build relationships it was not a constructive way to transition traditional relating to sudden online relating to people that you care about and uh, that there are there are huge problems with that uh, now i'm not so sure and now i'm really confused so i'm glad that st i've started a, a, a show about uh connection in the midst of having to question it the other way is that what would we all do without it indeed you and you and i are communicating uh, over the internet right now so Which i'm very <laughs> grateful for yeah uh, <laughs> and me too but um as a as a monk you know practicing detachment from mm, things mm, and mm. people 
uh, where does that where does that leave us? It's all we're meant to, you know. If 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 a path to an, an a nirvana is uh, is achieved by in part detaching, um, where, where does that leave us at the moment, where we're all desperate to really cling on to each other? God, well, it is, it is very interesting that, that you mentioned that you yourself have been very critical of, of what had been happening with the Because <laughs> you know I'm, I'm a, a net addict. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, well, uh, but, and, and not just you. I mean, it's been in the last couple of years, you know, a lot of people have been saying, oh, the world's just going to hell because of social media and blaming it for mm. everything. And, and yes, certainly we've seen a lot of... Uh, a lot of negative effects of, of people getting lost in the unreal world of it and, and mm. losing the line between what's real and what's not. But I think maybe that's just the explosion in this technology has been so rapid that we we haven't adjusted to it yet. And it, it is intriguing that suddenly it could play a very crucial role in um, in getting through this thing well and uh, yeah and uh, obviously this technology is neither good nor bad it's what you do with it like any technology like knives good or bad they stab people they also make lovely dinner you know <laughs> it's like don't stab people i'm against stabbing but you know i'm for knives um so uh yes that's fascinating uh it, it's interesting to see whether this is going to change uh, the way people are thinking about these things, using them in a more intelligent I mean, way. Yeah, from where I'm standing, it's a bit... I feel like the last few years we've seen the worst um, of connecting via social media and and, and um, just on, online in general. Uh, and now we are seeing the best, you know. People are getting up in the morning and uh, they can't go out for their run, so they're, they're doing it indoors with somebody showing them on a screen. You well... Know? Absolutely, and I, I realised. I mean, uh, well, some people were doing it before. Now they've got that yes, choice. Yes. I, I didn't address one of the things you said earlier, which is just a sort of monk perspective mm -hmm. on it. And indeed, uh, I have really insulated quite a bit since coming back to be a monk again. Uh, I spent the first six months without any internet connection at all, and, and it was it was delightful. It was joyful uh, i hadn't quite planned to i just hadn't got around to sorting out a decent phone yet and then just realized how great it was <laughs> how lovely it was to not have this mm. bleeping device demanding my attention all the time and definitely seeing the positive effects of me having far more attention on where i was and what was happening and if i did have to go and communicate with someone to go and have to find a wi-fi spot and take my computer and so that made sure that i was only going to do that if there was something meaningful that needed yeah. to be done and i think that's the crucial thing is uh, and certainly uh you know funny enough i had a conversation with another monk from another monastery on a bus some time ago and and he was uh He'd been a monk for over 10 years. He was a very uh, uh, heavyweight meditator as well. Very, um, just a, a heavyweight in all kind of ways. And, and I remember he pulled out his phone because mm -hmm. it bleeped. And, and he looked at it and he said to me, you know, this, this is the enemy. <laughs> this is my enemy, but I, <laughs> even I, I need it. You know, I, people expect me to have this. And, and uh, definitely... Um, so is it a calling? Is, it a, is the tech... 
that that gets us and makes us um you know anxious and, and makes us stressed and makes our eyeballs hurt because we're using it too much is it the ultimate test uh that's saying you have to find the middle way it, it, it it's everything that buddhism and all the different strands is trying to uh teach us about it's about balance because you because you and a lot of the high monks at tamkrabog all have mobile phones on you don't you uh yes although uh as i said i've, I've done but you're not all serious bl- like, on time without it uh yeah because you're doing serious um i don't know what you'd call it you know embodied work <laughs> on on yourselves and and on your souls so clearly these phones are not on all the time but but you will so there's a sense that um all of you in the monastery just know how we should all try to use our mobile phones well i mean it, it is a huge challenge as i said this hugely experienced monk i was talking to was talking about the difficulty of mm. relating to it properly and um one thing i've definitely definitely noticed is because we also as well as just monking uh do this work with addicts here that we've seen a huge benefit in saying mm. to people that they should surrender their their phones and devices uh, while they're in rehab um, and post rehab uh, or just have a sort of set time for contacting the people you need to because when people have difficult things that they need to get to grips with in their lives it's terribly attractive to get lost into this world which has sort of simulacra of activity little things that arouse your curiosity and little things that give you a tiny endorphin boost and uh, uh, you know uh, that simulate uh, all these kind of things that we we need to be actually creating in reality and of course yeah. uh, modern technology is a way to live it can be used to facilitate living and meaningful stuff but it can also be used to simulate that i think there's quite a blur between like mm. gamer world and uh using this technology to facilitate real things um yes and i think uh, definitely you see i mean one thing that's really changed that's massively changed i was first here in 2002 and so this technology wasn't here you know we had a slow dial-up connections for the internet on computers in a, in a particular place. So you're place. making me <laughs> you're making you're reminding me of how I I ended up at the monastery now. So just because it would seem a bit spurious not not to, just to carry on and <laughs> not mention how we met mm. uh, because I'm I'm obviously ended up being somebody that uh ended up bringing a, a fair bit of technology into that monastery. Mm. Um uh, but for creative reasons. But yeah, so so Peter uh, is the first monk I met when I was in um, treatment for addiction. And in, that was just in 2003. Mm, I think so, yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was surprised then, as some of our listeners might be now, to hear a broad South London accent hmm. speaking from the, you know, holy robes of <laughs> Buddhist monastery. The holy robes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that was a time where I remember feeling conflicted about bringing in. We brought in all the iMacs so that monks could use music, which you you know oversaw obviously in the recording of 
what do we call that music i mean you'd call it liturgical wouldn't you if it was in a uh, a, a christian monastery i'm I, not sure i, I suppose it. you could there isn't really a term for it because it's not a traditional part of the uh of, of any buddhist, of buddhist. monastery yeah. no it's uh, um you know that probably needs some explanation so yeah you 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 came to mm. deal with your thing and then asked to um stay and write your next album so you you brought in all this new uh, hard disk based recording technology that was not... you were among them did you feel mm. a bit like it was a bit dodgy of me just <laughs> uh, bringing all this like, like electric stuff and you know of, of software well uh, I mean it was certainly uh, it, it was certainly odd and unexpected and I probably uh, was resistant to it I probably definitely was um <laughs> Uh, the, on the personal side of it, I suppose the counterpart of what you said of just finding it quite strange to encounter somebody like you who'd come exactly almost from the world that I'd come Escaped from. Escaped from. <laughs> yes, and so I really sort of initially just didn't want anything to do with it at all and you mean uh, the music industry and the and the kind of rock world and all of that uh yes and and, and i suppose embodied in you <laughs> you know um <laughs> okay staying with the music you told me that one of your favorite songs is bullet in the head by rage against the machine what's your connection to that peter well, uh, serendipitous in this case. Uh, I mean, as I think I warned you when we were talking by email, I'm going to be a slightly cantankerous guest, not quite uh, sticking to the plot and, and refusing well, yeah, in a very Buddhist way. You're a monk. Way. I'm a monk. I can't, there's nothing I can say. You're a monk. I mean, I'm you a monk. Do whatever you feel. I'm a man of the cloth. <laughs> I, I am a reverend. Uh, if not a very reverend. Yeah. yeah. Somewhat reverend, I hope, <laughs> at least. Uh, so yes, I mean, in uh, just to get a bit technical here, in Buddhist terms, we're, we're supposed to be really trying to actively reject any attempt to sort of build up a kind of super self that is connected to all kinds of things. This is a part of me. So I rolled with the the fact that it had been in my head on that day when you got in touch and asked about this, uh, and so there certainly was a connection. Uh, and a very palpable one, though. I'm not saying it's an intrinsic one to understanding me. Uh, but the connection was actually via the the cover art from the album, which is not just a cover art from the album. It's a news picture from 1963 of a Vietnamese monk on fire. And that had been in my mind a lot uh, because of an article I was writing for some friends of mine on about mm -hmm. Buddhism, uh, and that struck me as a very important yes. image to bring into it to emphasize the fact that here in Thailand, I'm writing for some Thai friends of mine, and that we tend to think of Buddhism as something that kind of hip, unconventional people would be into, and obviously in Thailand, it really isn't. This is the Church of England. Uh, and they're associating it very much with conformity, um, and so I thought I would just bring that in to show that there's a whole other side to it. But of course, in yeah. personal terms, uh, I, it then occurred to me what an extraordinary 
not only piece of music it was, but in terms of how it happened historically, at the, the the age that I was at, that I spent my teens during this desert of, of the eighties. Um, when yes, and, and the Rage Against the Machine first album was, I think, early nineties, probably ninety ninety two, ninety three, yeah, ninety two, right. Yeah, at, yeah. It, so it, it was one of those albums that announced to me, and I, at that point, you know, I had my head completely off in the alternative, weirdy, beardy world of music, of, of jazz and uh, things from around the world and odd stuff, because I just mm. thought the mainstream is just, it's over. The world belongs to Phil Collins and Madonna now. And, uh, <laughs> and that was one of several albums as the 90s got underway that just said, okay. It's back. Um, and it's, yes, and sorry, go on. Well, well on. back in the sorry. sense of uh, the spirit of it and the sound of it. I mean, we're both musicians, and I, I can so distinctly remember having, you know, always been a bit of a rocker, uh, just thinking, I know what lead guitar solos sound like, and what is that man doing with that thing? Yeah. You know, just mm. the creativity of it uh the absolute <laughs> rejection of any rules that is absolutely not how you play a guitar it's tom morello isn't it tom morello has been a hero of mine what a god mm. that man is yes um yeah and of course you know the, the the whole band is excellent it starts off with that uh lovely bouncy kind of solo bass uh line and they, they all give each other mm. so much space in that that you can hear what everybody is doing. You know, nobody in the band is subjugated yeah. to anything. <laughs> I think we're so lucky to have had those kind of bands um, uh, in that period. Um, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of... Um, it harks back to the late sixties kind of revolutionaries, doesn't he? I mean, it, it, Zach de la Rocha is—he's mm. uh, a great—he's a great leader in, in a way. And I think they've reformed recently, did they not? Uh, um, I wouldn't know. F- <laughs> yeah, for some, I'm not entirely sure what it was for, but they reformed this year. Um, I, it, it, it's funny to think those those kind of songs now are. Um, you know they represent to us. I guess our youth. Were, I was I was in my late teens. I guess would you have been in your early twenties mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when that song came out? Yeah, um, that was the sound of youth when we were young. Um, sound of youth is very different now. It's definitely not as much noise coming from electric guitars. No. Um, I remember when we first met, and I was making lots of noise with electric guitars in the monastery <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, you, and you came up very curiously figuring out what it was i was up to um back in 2003 i think wasn't it and did you did you think had you kind of renounced uh, I don't know what you call it, kind of Satan pop, and all his works. Music. <laughs> Say again. Sorry. Satan and all his works. <laughs> Satan and all his works. Yeah, until I arrived in your life. Um, <laughs> did you? Did you? Was it? What was it like? Um, you know, um, really turning to Buddhism in practice seriously and taking the precepts hmm. uh, and observing that discipline every day of your life, and then having 
you know, music attached to the commercial and the apparently permanent world uh, come landing uh, <laughs> when you in your world. I mean, did you? What did you? Did you feel mm-hmm. like the temptation uh, to be in that world came back to you, or the whiff of test? sulfur and brimstone? Uh, well, I didn't like it one little bit, but. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, not not your music, uh, the, the the whole thing. But I think we touched on this earlier. That I think it highlighted to me that uh, a decision to be a Buddhist, to be a monk, to live a certain way wasn't about the trappings. And now this thing has come up. This person mm. has come to the monastery, and uh, certainly when somebody asks to spend some time uh, at the monastery and just do their thing, get themselves together. That's the thing that we do. The fact that you happen to be mm. a musician from London meant that, of course, we can accommodate that. Uh, but it all just felt too strange and familiar, too too strangely familiar to me. So um, yeah. I was certainly resistant. And I do remember going up to that room you were at, and it was, uh, I, I was sent up there. That what, what happened was... Uh, that you'd had this conversation with Longpour via translation, via Mechi Rampai. And, uh, and Longpour knew that I'd formerly been a musician. And, and I got this message, you know, just say, well, we've said this guy can do his thing. And like, you know, uh, just out of curiosity, can you go and tell what the hell he's doing and whether he's any good? And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and uh, and so uh, I, I, know, I have a lot to thank you for. <laughs> well, well I, I did give you, you know, I, I won't say how many stars, but I, I did say no. He's <laughs> he's he's certainly not an idiot kind of fantasist wasting everybody's time. He's actually doing something that he knows how to do, and it looks like it will be productive of something. And let's see where this goes. Um, but. Um, uh, personally, I mean, it was it was intriguing that uh, well, something had happened in the history of technology at that point. That when I, you know, I'd been in the monastery for a while, and before that, I'd been in a bit of a kind of not very receptive space because I was taking a load of drugs. And just at that point, shortly after the millennium, you know, I saw a guy, mm. a guy with a laptop. I went, that's rubbish. You know, it's like, what's he doing? House music. You know, and, uh, you know, when I stepped out of the music business, people were recording real audio. They're going, wow, you can put real audio on it. And I would listen to it and I'd go, yeah, but it's rubbish, isn't it? You know, if you're doing serious mm. music, you need a two-inch tape machine. What, what the hell are you going to yeah. do with that? Yeah. And, and so I had this sort of uh, seeing what you... Recording brought. on laptops means rubbish music. Yeah, and it was... <laughs> it, exactly at that point probably you know within a year or two that just the technology had just moved to the point where you could actually be doing serious stuff with music recorded Mm. with microphones um yes uh and and so that struck me very uh like like a bit of a bombshell really I'd like to talk about listening with you listening to music or listening to sound um which is, I think, certainly in the world I'm living in, uh, with so much information uh, being 
hurtled towards us all the time, all of us, um, are, are presented with so much stuff that there's very little time to listen to silence and mm-hmm. to listen to space that isn't occupied with some kind of noise, sound. Yeah. Um, as somebody that does that on purpose regularly, <laughs> I, I mean, how many times a, uh, a day do you meditate or try to meditate? Oh well, I mean it varies. I mean I'm I'm probably you know got a baseline of a couple of hours of meditation per day. It goes up and down. I'm about yeah. to go into an intensive period on Tudong, um, where it'll be a lot more than that. Uh, and do you find a do you do you find it? Um, what do you find silence does for you? <laughs> well, silence is bloody noisy. Um, I, I, think, <laughs> I like that. Silence is noisy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, we said something earlier about just the sort of getting away from it all in a monastery. And I, I mentioned that, you know, that what you will hear is that the internal noise is, is just expands to fill what you thought was flooding in from the outside. Yes. So in a, a, a microcosm, that, that is, I think, something that is very noticeably happens with, with meditation. Um, and so... Um, uh, so it's essential to kind of see what we're superimposing on silence because uh, it's so rare that I mean, there are so many things to uh, just fill your attention with, uh, even when people think that they're just doing nothing and daydreaming and something's going on as a background service. And... Um, and then they can think that everything that they experience about how the world is and think is just conditioned by the way things are, as opposed to what you superimpose upon it. Uh, that that sounds very theoretical. Um, just put very simple. Yeah, but very. I like I like that. The idea. Right? You know, mm. it, it it gives me hope to think that there's. I'm superimposing, you know, my version of life onto the actual life oh well absolutely i mean something i've been getting very interested in recently and let's say hurrah the internet as as well because um uh i've educated myself about a number of things in the time while i've been here um and one thing i've become very fascinated by is the way things are developing in um, neuroscience and what they're finding out about the mind and perception and how that lines up with things that Buddha said a long time ago, and one thing this that- is what one of my last guests was talking about. Sorry, um, oh, Douglas really? Rushkoff. Um, yeah, really? yeah, he's, he 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 talks about neuroscience. Sorry, continue. But uh, I mean, one thing that really I've been thinking about a lot is that demonstratively you cannot see and hear the world. We we fool ourselves that we do, but this is we've you your consciousness is is locked inside your skull. And uh, it has these signals coming from the outside. And there are amazing experiments being done um, by psychologists and, and neuroscientists to show that what you think you see is so conditioned by what meaning you put on it, what expectations you have on it, that they can yeah. that they can change what they're showing you. But... Uh, and you won't know because you've already decided that you know what that is. And 
the pictures we see, the sounds we see are a, a virtual reconstruction made by our consciousness. Um, and yes, it's definitely, uh, if you do the humiliating exercise of trying to do the most simple concentration meditation, just say, you're just going to put your attention on the one thing you can't stop doing, which is breathing. <laughs> so if we could stop that, we'd stop that too. Uh, and just keep <laughs> it there. And you just see how quickly that you try and see the difference between a stimulus and, uh, and an interpretation of that stimulus that something happens and you go, Oh, I know what that is. And immediately you sort it left or right. That's the kind of thing I like. So it's dragging me off in a kind of yeah. lost in a kind of daydream direction, or that's the kind of thing I don't like. So I'm grumpy about it and I want it to stop. Yeah. It's outrageous. And and I really like that the the difference between a stimulus and an interpretation of a stimulus. I think that's that's a huge. It almost actually brings us back to where, when we started. When I was uh, asking about um, looking, I and mean, this is about listening, but actually looking, you know, into each other's eyes, uh, which produces one kind of emotion, and mm -hmm. then looking into each other's eyes through screens which actually and it's been shown by neuroscientists it produces something which isn't the same emotion at all as when we're really in front of each other it's, yes. it's something different and many of us are un, are as un, un, un i don't know uneducated about that as we are about um, listening as well. It's so much of, well, all of us are, are prone to that, what you just said, um, the, believing in the interpretation <laughs> in, instead of the actual stimulus. Mm, absolutely. that um, We have something in the way our minds are put together that we want things to mean something. Uh, and we can be very, very quick to decide that we know what it means. Um, and uh, that that can lead you into some terrible places. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in what musical activities are happening at the moment in the monastery. Um, well, actually, uh, nothing to speak of at the moment. Ah, is that a call out to musicians yeah. that want to go and visit a yeah. Buddhist monastery in Thailand? <laughs> well, it might be a call out to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I'd I, yeah I'd, I'd, when this madness of... Um, uh, you know, mm. pandemic madness comes to an end. That's going to be one of the first places I come to visit because I really miss nah. it. Uh, I haven't really been doing anything like that lately. I've been doing a bit of audio. I mean, more on another side. Um, we've got a massive project right now that um, since all the founder teachers of the monastery are, are dead now, mm. the last of them being mm. Long Portuguese, um I mean, you arrived, as, as I did, in a very fortunate time, which was the, the end of phase one, the, the end of the first generation. Yeah. That the people who started this place, the last of them is still at the helm. And so we just realized we, we were in a bit of a kind of spin after he died. There was a bit of an adjustment because no one had ever really formulated what the teaching what the tradition yes. of this place is because you had this if you were confused you go and ask him and 
And it's now dawned on us that we, we need to do that. And so we're collating loads of old tapes of them talking. We've digitized yes. them all. And, and, and some of them sound dreadful. And there's so a necessity I'm to reach out, isn't there? There's a necessity to reach out to the wider world when the founder of any kind of, um, I don't know, spiritual community or eco-spiritual community, you know, passes. Um, it's, up, mm. it's up to the followers to keep it going by reaching out um to, to to new people mm. to come right I, I i suppose so i mean not that we're particularly uh, uh, evangelizing well uh, sex, no because that's not we what need you to do, preserve the thing though we need to preserve the the core of it that, so there is a a touchstone a reference and it's a massive job it's a massive it's, job isn't it because there's so so much literature and music isn't there um but yeah, I, I will will be there uh, as soon as I, I'm physically able. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, it's always a tricky question um, uh, 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 on the show that um, I, I try to ask all the guests. But what's uh-huh. what's what's the connection in your life so far that means the most to you in terms of um, something that's continued uh, following you wherever you go <laughs> don't say me um and then you <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and um and you know and you don't have to say you know your mother or your partner or something or you don't have a partner obviously you're a monk now but you know it doesn't need to be family some something um Something that just no matter what you did, it was always going to be with you, which I guess is is a, a bit of a, you know, a burden for a, a Buddhist monk because you're not meant huh. to be too connected to anything for too long, are you? Well, no, I mean, and, and as I said, as I warned you in talking about these songs, this is very much a thing that a, a Buddhist monk, particularly, because a monk is the super extreme version of a Buddhist, not trying to balance things, but trying to move in mm. precisely the opposite direction uh, to the way uh, our conditioning and our karma pushes us. Uh, yes, we're absolutely rejecting the tendency to accumulate anything. Uh, and we're going going to go into Tudong, and one of the purposes of Tudong, one of the highly specific purposes of Tudong is, is just to say, okay, anything you think you need, you've got to carry it. <laughs> you know, so you very quickly find out uh, what you cannot be without. Um, I suppose uh, yeah, you, you could be talking about sort of abstract things yes, as well. Yes, I mean, anything, just a connection um, um, that, 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 I don't know, maybe in some way, it's a hard thing to ask you because if I say, what's a connection that really defines you um uh, you, you, you you don't want your 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 entire life's mission is to not be defined isn't it? it's, it, precisely <laughs> precisely and and the, yeah. this is one of the uh, which i, I admire hugely very, in you you know to because we come from similar backgrounds <laughs> and cultures i to be able to take that leap i think is incredible i'm nowhere near um uh, in terms of trying to give up <laughs> defining what I am. But, yeah, what would it be? 
if you well and neither should you be i mean buddhism is a religion for everybody not just for monks and and as i said it's for balancing these tendencies to clutch onto things and if you've got a working balance then 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 terrific i mean being a monk is like hard hard training Mm. and uh, i've been in and out i used it to counterbalance tendencies excessive tendencies Mm. i had return to the world in a more in a state of better equilibrium now i'm doing it again i don't know if i will continue indefinitely or if i'll go back to the world again and it's okay to have these things um it's just that definitely a lot of um a lot of misery lies in over attaching to them and even like non-corporal things like we were talking about theoretical things it's the sense of constantly trying to construct a network that you say well that's that, that that's me that is and uh that's mm. where we think a lot of suffering comes from and uh certainly um i lost my thread a little bit give me a second uh, uh yes uh people get very confused about what the goal of buddhism is and uh and frequently we meet western people coming here thinking that they know what it is already and that they think it's sort of a part of hippie-ishness and there are all these assumptions that it's about, well, it's about finding me and finding myself and finding myself. And terribly surprised to find that it's about scrunching all that up and shucking it in the bin. Um, <laughs> I love that. And, uh, it's about losing what, yourself, what, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just, just get rid of that, mate. Uh, and this thing that people talk about, what, what, what are you aiming for? Enlightenment. That's not actually a very good word for what Buddha talked about in the the Pali language he would say either awakening um but that's not defining it uh because that's uh that that's the state you're coming out of you you're coming out of 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 stupor of sleep Uh, liberation is a really good word for it and it's not necessarily to be thought of as this sort of distant city on a cloud that you're going to do all this stuff and like boom it goes off liberation from what liberation can be in every second every time you're able to put something down and and say well i think that's a part of me and so i think that now that conditions the way i respond to this because I hate country music, so I heard a steel guitar, so I'm going to hate that. The way you describe put that down. The way you describe um, liberating is, um, I don't know. Many of us think of freedom as something that we can have, but you talk about it uh, as if it's something that we do. Uh, that's an astute point, I suppose. Yes, uh, and it's yes, it's certainly not a thing that you can have. As long as you're thinking in terms of accumulating, you won't mm. have freedom because you're enslaved by the need to have these things that you want. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, the, the liberation lies in being able to put things down um, to realize that uh, in any moment, there's myriad possibilities of how you could respond uh, even if not at a, a, a physical action level, just how you process something that is occurring. Mm. Um, and that this is produced very much by throwing out all these things that we think 
are a part of ourselves. And if we, you know, if we want to bring this back to connection, because I don't want to be a completely difficult guest and reject everything you say. <laughs> one of the problems with trying to forge very strong connections with deeply meaningful things that are deeply personal is that they then exclude other things from from that kind of degree of connectivity, mm. don't they? You know, if you decide to support a particular football team, it means you're not supporting all of the others. Yeah. Um, and so I suppose in that sense, you know, a Buddhist is, is, is not trying to look for a, a team allegiance. It's trying to just go, well, okay, football. <laughs> it's a good thing. You know, anyone playing football well, that's, I'm down with that. Um, to take, I don't know why that popped into my head. So what's the answer? Um, how do we, how, what's, the, what's the best form of connection? Well, I suppose the best form of connection in terms of what I've been saying there is is to be aware of the possibility of connection to anything that comes along. Um, although that connection doesn't mean accepting everything, you know, not everything is good. But, um, but well, we touched earlier on the, the incredibly swift transition between perception and, and, and strapping a meaning onto it just delay that for a bit delay that for a bit and then you could be far more open to seeing what's happening and orientating yourself within it you can be uh you can be infinitely connected though of course you know i'm speaking from a point of view of where we want to end up i mean uh, it's a continuous action as you say of seeing that you're forming spurious attachments and and putting them down which can be difficult which can be quite painful and can be self-deceptive as well that you you're putting it down and on another level you're still hanging on to you might be hanging on to the idea of putting something down um i'm a person that can put things down uh but um certainly there are things uh because i'm not a fully enlightened liberated awakened person that that definitely seem to run as a thread and you see them coming up and go, oh, it's you again, you again. And, and not just you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Although, I, mean, I think really you are uh, possibly the most super connected person that I know in that you are open to kind, being yeah. connected to anything and, and, and anything that you haven't already thought of connecting to. I think that's what you're saying, isn't it, as well? Well, I, certainly we're trying to develop, um, I'm not going to take credit for you know, being very kind, but you know anything that's good about me, uh, apart from the fact that I'm so handsome, of course, uh, is, is <laughs> Most is handsome result. monk in the world. It's just... Yes, that's DNA. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, is, is a result of, uh, of following this, this practice, yeah. this, this teaching, this openness. That certainly isn't something I started with. Um, I, I used to know very much what the world was about and what I thought about it and what were the things I approved of and the things I didn't. And I'm still bloody opinionated uh, sometimes. It's just I'm I'm trying to not continue, just as soon as something's come out of my mouth, assume that I believe it. Constantly question. Here's you taking a stance, taking a view. Do you believe that? A constant monitoring process to... Yes. See whether you really believe 
what you're saying and and that when you say that you do that's still contingent that could change in the face of something that will happen in the next second and i think that's a vital thing we need at a time like this i mean i i had this very strange experience when i was back in the uk briefly failing to hook up with you um of arriving on election night and and i was jet lagged and so i stayed up and i watched the whole thing and i'd been having been out of the loop for a long time and hadn't watched western tv news and in the thick of this I, I, I missed all the details and I saw the bigger picture and I'll tell you what I saw. I saw a load of people saying things that they don't believe. You know, mm. Taking uh, aside, clinging to something. Cling Nobody knows how this Brexit thing is going to go. Uh, but people have made this emotional choice. I'm on this side, I'm on that side. And, and the more confusion they have about it, the more they double down. And uh, things coming up like this rabid nationalism... Mm. Um, and, and, and the left has gone just as mad at the moment as well, clinging to causes which are being framed in religious terms. Well, it's a unique than... position f for you to be, uh, you know, in, in a, living a very balanced life and trying to live a very balanced life in a, in a monastery, <laughs> um, observing Buddhism uh, and, you know, it's the polarisation happening in front of your eyes must look much harsher than it does in front of mine well it does and uh, you know i did a bit of catching up while i was away. i mean i watched i visited my mum and you know she doesn't do much these days so we watched a lot of tv news and i mean yes uh, certainly that was a strange experience i think we we're at a funny point in history where people are really clinging to old ideas mm -hmm. uh and expecting well i said to be rewarded for their faith. It, it, it does sound terribly sort of religious and fundamental to me, what I'm hearing yeah. all over the world, you know, and there's something about that view of faith and religion that almost sort of the more absurd your belief, the more virtuous you are for clinging to it. <laughs> do, do you see what I, I mean? I do, yes, yes. Um, it feels like a great amount of um i don't our insides are being churned out for all to see at the moment yeah yeah absolutely um very much so and um you know i'm kind of hoping it's i don't want to say that you know i don't want to be sort of flippant about this current sort of pandemic crisis the world's happening but i'm, I'm kind of hoping that something good will come out of people having to go inside and as we mentioned earlier this strange thing of also really looking at the rest of the world because a lot of people have been saying things about other parts of the world recently which are deeply ignorant and <laughs> based on i have no idea what um and so yeah you can it, it's almost like the whole world has been sent to its room to think about <laughs> what it's done and i'm hoping that they will well i, I think thought. that's a really lovely image actually uh and and you you sent yourself to your own room <laughs> a, a while ago uh, I, I just hope yeah. we all learn as much as you have uh, while we're in our rooms um Peter, well, for once I was ahead of a fashion curve. Yeah, yeah Peter, <laughs> thank you so much for for giving um, your time outside of what I know is quite a grueling sh schedule over there in, in the monastery. Um, just to share 
your wisdom and the wisdom you've learned uh, at a time where we need a lot of it. Peter Radcliffe, monk, oh. mate, <laughs> and all-round incredible, super-connected human being. Thank you. <laughs> you flatter me, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.